Good morning. If you are new uh, to our church, then this is a little different of a normal service for us. Um, we do this often, but it's not our regular service in that on the fourth or fifth Sunday, if there is a fifth Sunday in the month, we do a family service. We don't have uh, any children's program other than in the nursery for the very little children, but all the kids are with us in here. Now, kids, if you are in here and you did not get one of the children's bulletins, you're going to want to ask your mom or dad to run out and get you one out in the lobby because we are going to be using that at different parts and you can kind of follow along. But this morning, I, I actually need some help as we are going to start our service. And, and I asked Delia if Delia would help me. Delia, come on up and help me out up here. And a lot of you are already curious about what's going on up here on the stage. And you're gonna, we're going to start using these things throughout the service. Delia, thank you for being here and helping me out. Delia, someone left a treasure for you. A very specific treasure that they picked for you and it is inside that chest. And you can go ahead and open it. There's a little latch on the front and you can look inside of it, but don't tell anyone what is in there. Don't pull it out. That is a treasure just for you. Is that a good treasure? Okay. <laughs> All right. But Delia... Here's the thing. I think you do deserve a treasure. But I'm not sure that that's the treasure you really deserve. I think I have some other treasures. In fact, I have a much bigger treasure chest than that one. And, and I think I might have something even better for you. So, so let, me, let me just see here. Let me see what... Oh, oh, this is it. I have here a key to a Honda Accord two-door, and, and let me tell you this, this is not the base model, this is the fast one. I've driven it. It's a fast car. And, and you know what? I'm really going to offer you this. And if you really want this, you can just leave that treasure there and you can come have this treasure. Do, do you want this? Okay. Key to a car. All right. Okay, um, oh, okay, I, I get it, I get it, I got, I got something else for you, okay, all right, this, this is special, are you ready? This is a treasure, look at, you know what, I think, I think this would look great on you, this would even match the outfit you're wearing right now, you, you deserve this, you don't want this? Delia, this is, look at the pearls and the diamonds. All right, do you like electronics? Do you like, like, computers and stuff? How about, like, Apple products? You've never had one? Oh, okay. Delia. Delia. An Apple bundle box. Okay, we have the iPad Air. We have the Magic Keyboard 2. We have an Apple Pencil second generation and we have an iPhone. Come on. You've... Delia, Delia, th Delia, this is an incredible treasure. 
You're going to keep that treasure? You're not going to trade this one? Delia, what, what if, what if we do all of them together? What if you can take all of these at the same time, just leave that one, and you can take all of these back to your seat? Okay. Delia, later on I'm going to ask you to come back up. Right now you can take that treasure with you. Don't show anyone. Don't keep that thing shut. Keep it protected. Take it down. Later on I'm going to have you come back up. Yep, you can go this way right here. It's probably best. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Two weeks ago, we finished Colossians chapter 1, and this morning, we are going to begin chapter 2. What we've seen so far is that Paul has a goal for the Colossians. He is encouraging them to act a certain way. How does Paul want them to act? What does he say in verse 10 of chapter, uh, verse 10 of chapter 1? How do, are they supposed to act? They are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully what? To whom? To him. And Paul has spent time developing that because would any of us call this task of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, would any of us say, oh, that's easy. I've got that. Let me, give me something hard. Show me something real. If you've spent any time walking with God, you know that's difficult. But Paul even makes it more surprising because Paul highlights the supreme identity of Christ. He reveals the incredible work of Christ. What Paul does is, this is who Christ is, this is what he has done, and I'm calling you to walk worthy of him, according to his identity, according to his work. Ultimately, Paul is calling us to glorify God, or the way he puts it in verse 18 of chapter 1, that in everything, Christ might be preeminent. Now, up to this point, Paul has predominantly been encouraging us and presenting us with a positive view of our purpose. But some of you were here when we did the overview of Colossians, and when we were there, we identified that there's a specific problem that Paul is trying to address. What's the problem? It's in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we see that there are those within the Colossian community that are trying to pull the Colossians away from Christ. And they have many strategies, many ways in which they are doing that. They might say, you need to trust Jesus, but there's some more that you need to do. Jesus plus. They might say, you know what, Jesus is fine for this area, but really, there's some things that you don't need Jesus. Jesus minus. And Paul has been presenting, no, no, it's just Jesus. Don't be pulled away from Christ. Paul is concerned that there is a teaching within the church that is seeking to turn believers away from Christ. He worries that though the Colossians have come to know Christ, that they will now turn from Christ and pursue wrong beliefs. So what does Paul do? How does Paul address this concern? Well, in the basic answer, he writes a letter. He's found out about this and he wrote a letter to them in order to address this. But 
if you knew that there was a problem in someone's life that you really care about, that you love them, how would you address the threat that they're facing? I don't know about you, but I'm addressing it head on. That's the first thing I'm talking about. Hey, this thing, it's a lie. This thing, it's not true. What you are striving after, don't do it. Is that where Paul starts the letter? He doesn't. We've already gone through 29 verses in chapter 1, and he hasn't mentioned it. See, this is what is fascinating about Paul's strategy. Paul confronts the false teaching not by first exposing the lies. He confronts it by highlighting truth. He points to Jesus. Why? Because the primary protection in not seeking other treasures is not showing how everything else is worse. It's revealing that Christ is greater. How long, how many other treasures could seek to call us away? If I was trying to make an exhaustive list of everything that is not as valuable as Christ, how long would the list be? It'd never end. The solution is not to say, oh, well, here's what's wrong with this. Here's what's wrong with that. Here's what's wrong. That is part of it. There are times where we address things directly. But first, we need to see the surpassing value of the true treasure. And that's what Paul's been doing. Paul has been pointing them to Christ. This is the true treasure. In our passage this morning, Paul is finally going to begin to address the lies within the Colossian community. But before he does, he will once again point us to Jesus. He will yet again reveal that Christ is the true treasure. This morning, we actually have two big ideas. One for the adults, one for the kids. Um, Rebecca recommended that we call it the big idea and the little idea. I don't know if she did that on the screen. But here, here's the big idea for the adults. When we truly treasure the immeasurable richness of Christ, all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. When we truly treasure the immeasurable richness of Christ, all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. If I had Delia up here and had not given her this treasure, how much more likely was she going to take this? If she did not know the surpassing value of what she had here, would she have been tempted to take something here? Absolutely. But when we truly treasure the immeasurable richness of Christ, all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. Here's the big idea for the kids or the little idea. If Christ is the greatest treasure ever, you will never find anything better. That's an easy one to remember. It even rhymes. If Christ is the greatest treasure ever, you will never find anything better. Kids, one of the most important lessons that you can learn is that there is nothing better than Jesus. There are so many things in life that are going to try to pull you away, to show you a different path, to call you, to, to, to tempt you with a different treasure. But if you know there's nothing better than Jesus, those things aren't worth it. The question for all of us as we begin to look at this passage is this. Is Jesus truly my greatest treasure? 
That's the question that I want all of us to be reflecting on in our hearts. Is Jesus truly my greatest treasure? Let's look at verse one, where we're gonna start unpacking this and looking at Paul's struggle. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. We begin with Paul informing the Colossians of his struggle. Now this isn't a new thought. This is actually a continuation of what Paul was saying before. What's the first word? What's the first clue that this is connected to what came before? For. It's continuing something. What Paul has said is actually connected all the way back to verse 23. If you have your Bible, look back at verse 23. Paul is encouraging them. He says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Don't shift from what you've been given. Don't shift from what you've received. Now, for the Colossians, what is already clear to them regarding what it will cost to cling to one treasure? Living as a Christian in that time, were were they under a delusion that this is going to be easy? That staying right here is just going to be a walk in the park? It's all treasure. Health, wealth, happiness. This is where it's just going to be easy. No. They had friends and family who had suffered. They know where Paul is. Now, let me just say, sometimes I think we over-elevate the struggles of of past Christians. Let me tell you, you are in the same war. The, The strategy of the enemy might seem different, but there are still casualties. There are still attacks. This is still a spiritual battle in which clinging only to Christ is going to cost us. But Paul leans into that. He knows that's the case and he leans into it. As we saw in our last message two weeks ago in Colossians, Paul shares about his own sufferings for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. But he does it with joy because he sees how his sufferings are used as part of God's process in accomplishing God's plan. And it's not just Paul's purpose, it's every believer's purpose because Paul says in verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In order to do what God has called him to do, in order to demonstrate the value of the treasure he has received, Paul labors. He toils, he struggles. But through whose strength? through all his strength that he powerfully works within me. That's where we ended two weeks ago. We now come to our passage and Paul kind of double clicks on the struggle. He zooms in on that where he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul is talking about all the believers in this area. Laodicea was the neighboring town. Uh, in chapter four, we'll, we'll see that Paul says, make sure that you give this letter to them and, and read the letter that I sent to them as well. He's, he's talking about the struggle that he has had for all of these Christians, many of whom he has never seen 
face to face. He's telling them he's struggling for them. The, the imagery of struggling is the idea of a wrestling match. It's, it's pushing against some, something. It's one who is putting themselves against an opponent. Maybe you're not into wrestling, but, but it would be thinking of the offensive line in football. These massive individuals who are struggling against in order to protect. The idea is strenuous effort. It's work, which Paul does in Christ's strength. But how has Paul struggled for these people, especially if many of them he has never seen? Well, there's two ways that we see within Colossians that Paul has struggled for them. The first is that he struggled by proclaiming the gospel in their region. While Paul did not directly evangelize these people, they are the result of the missionary efforts of Paul. Epaphras heard the truth that it was taught to him and then he went on and taught it to the Colossians. Paul struggled to go and proclaim Christ. And was there a cost for Paul's struggle? Yeah, where's where's Paul writing from? Prison. Why is he there? This is what he says in, in, in uh, in chapter four that Paul is in prison because of the word, the mystery that he is proclaiming. He is struggling so that others may know and it's costing him. The same, second way that Paul has struggled on their behalf is in praying for them. In chapter one, Paul says, he has not ceased praying for them since the day he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, before we move on, I wanna just think about the tone Paul is writing with. Does he seem upset with the Colossians, is he chastising them like, hey, I suffered for you. I've struggled for you. No, Paul, Paul's not upset. Paul's not upset about the work and price he's had to pay. Remember back in verse 24, what does Paul say about his sufferings? He rejoices in his sufferings for your sake. What kind of love do you need to have that you do not begrudge struggling and suffering for someone else's sake? It's not a common love. It's not a love of the flesh. It's not a worldly love. To not begrudge the suffering and struggling for another is uncommon love. But who is Paul revealing? Whose model is he following? Who do we see selflessly loving others at great cost? Who struggled in prayer to the point of sweating blood? Who suffered for those who were not even yet born, those who had never seen his face? Who? Jesus. Paul is revealing a love like Christ. Do we love people like that? Are we struggling for the sake of others, not just because we have to, but with joy? Are we following the path of Christ? Remember, Paul's not doing that in his strength. Verse 29, he's struggling with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within Paul. But this is what Paul is revealing. What you struggle for reveals what you truly value. What you struggle for reveals what you truly value. 
We'll talk about this more later, but, but there's an element that it was probably, there were certain things over here that were a struggle for Delia not to take. That I offered certain things and her eyes got a little bit bigger of like, oh, I don't know. But the fact that she struggled to stay with what she was given revealed the creator value. She demonstrated what she truly valued. What you struggle for reveals what you truly value. Kids, how many of you go outside and choose to do something really hard just because? Ah, it's just fun. I'm going to suffer because I like it. No one. You're not doing that. It's because you, there, there's a, a goal. There's a treasure. There's something you desire. So Paul has shared that he is struggling for them. Why is he, what is he hoping his struggles will accomplish? Why does he want them to know about his struggles? What is Paul's desire? Let's look at the first desire. The first desire that we see is that they may be encouraged. Look at verse, uh, the first part of, of, of verse 2. So, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Does that strike any of you as odd? I want you to know how I've struggled so you can be encouraged. I want you to know how much I've suffered for you so your heart can be encouraged. If you've ever sought to encourage someone, how many of you had that thought as the first thing? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just go tell them how much I've had to suffer for them. They'll be so encouraged by that. Maybe you had that thought. It's definitely not a thought that I would have. Normally, I'm like, no, no, this was fine. It wasn't a struggle at all. I was happy to do it. It was so easy. Normally, we try to downplay the struggle, and Paul here is elevating it. Is this boasting? Is Paul like saying, hey, guys, come on, give me some credit here? No. What does Paul want the Colossians to see? What does he want them to treasure? Christ. What is one of the best ways to demonstrate the value of a treasure? Showing what you are willing to pay for it. Earlier we had uh, Sherry read two different parables in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And the two stories where, where the one finds a treasure, he covers it back up. And, and kids, do anyone remember what he does after that? He goes and sells everything. He gives up everything in order to get that treasure. Do you think he liked his other stuff? Probably. If I had a treasure and I say it would cost you all of your things, the only way you're going to give me all of your things is if what is the, the treasure is even better. The next story is the same one. The, the, the man who sees the merchant with the precious pearl. And he sees that and he's like, I've got to have that. And once again, he sells everything. See, the best way to show, demonstrate the value of a treasure is showing what you are willing to pay for it. Our actions reveal the value we place in treasure. Kids, how many of you are curious what was in the treasure chest that Delia had? How many adults are curious about the treasure that Delia had? Yeah! Now, you don't, how, anyone know what was in there? No, I, that was on purpose. But what do you know about it? Do you know that it's valuable? Do you know that that is better than the other things I offered? You do. 
What do Paul's struggles reveal? That he values Christ and therefore values the Colossians. He values it so much that he is happy to suffer, happy to struggle. How is that an encouragement for the Colossians? Think about it. If Paul told them, cling to the gospel, don't shift from the gospel, and the Colossians know that's going to cost them, imagine that what they know about Paul is Paul is just a armchair theologian He has a villa on the Mediterranean. He's sitting in his hammock, and he's like, Luke, write another letter for me. (laughs) Luke, tell them, tell them to suffer. Mm, that, That would be a good thought for them. There's no encouragement in that. To know that you will have to pay a price and that that someone else is just saying it. Now, I'm not going to suffer for that. You're not suffering for it. Where's the encouragement? To know, hey, I'm writing this to you from prison, and it's worth it. Paul is not only suffering and struggling for them, he's suffering and struggling with joy. What does that reveal regarding the treasure? It must be some treasure. Before moving on, I want to just offer two applications. The first is to the parents here, and the second is for all of us. Parents, here's the reality. Our struggles reveal what we treasure to our children. What we are struggling for will reveal to our children what we treasure. See, our children see us striving after things and they will assume that holds the most value. But here's what I want all of us to see from this is that not everything we treasure is easy for our kids to perceive because not all of our struggles are immediately apparent. See, my kids get to see me go to work every single day. They see me leave early in the morning. They see me come back late at night. They see me have to take calls sometimes in the middle of the night. They see how tired I am after church on Sunday. So from that, what could they deduce from that? I value work. I value uh, uh, providing for them. That is a treasure to me. There are so many different treasures in your life, parents, that are easy for your kids to see. What are the things you take care of? What are the things you spend your money on? All of those elements are easy for your kids to see the treasure. Can they see that Christ is your treasure? Have I worked hard to make known to them how I toil and strive for holiness? Have I revealed to them the labor it is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Did you notice what Paul said in verse one? He doesn't just say, for I struggle for you. No, he says, for I want you to know my struggles. The encouragement isn't just in the struggles, it's also in knowing the struggles. Parents, it's so important for our kids to know we are struggling after holiness. Is it wonderful for you to do your devotions and for you to put God first? Yes. But if you're doing that in a time that your kids don't know it's happening, it's after they go to bed, it's before they wake up, and they never see that, you're doing a disservice to them. Let them see you struggle for a greater treasure. Tell them the parts where God is revealing your own sin. 
Tell them this is what God is showing me and I am having to lay my sin aside. Tell them about the desires that you wanted to do but were desires of the flesh and you've said, no, I can't do those because I have a greater treasure to pursue. Parents, our struggles reveal what we treasure to our children. Let them see the struggle for holiness. Let them see that so that when they are older, they can say, I know this. Maybe, maybe they, they have not placed their faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe that has not happened, but they can know. I know that Christ was the greatest treasure to my dad. I know that my mom valued Christ more than any other treasure. Second application is for all of us. Are there the others who encourage you in your pursuit of Christ because you see their struggles in pursuing Christ? Remember, this is an encouragement to them. Brothers and sisters, this is hard. And there's going to be times that you don't want to do this. Where you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know, that looks pretty good. I'm tired. I, I want this other treasure. There's going to be times where you want to give up. This is where surrounding ourselves with other examples of people who did not surrender their greater treasure, who said, no, I am going to cling to this. That is encouraging to us. There's many different ways that you can do this. Read good biographies of Christians who suffered. Where's Celinda? Celinda's back there. If you're not sure about a good biography, talk to her. She has read many and she probably owns one that she would be willing for you to read. Read about other Christians and their struggles. Be encouraged. Wait, that was what they were willing to, to pay. Talk to missionaries. Ike gave a, a testimony earlier of the struggles. Wait, Christ is worth that? Then he's worth what he's asking me to do right now. Look to other members of our body. The mission field is not just out there. For many of us, the mission field is within our own home. Go spend a day with Molly and John Vinci. See how they are struggling for the sake of a greater treasure. See the efforts that that costs them. See what they truly value. Surround yourself with others who are encouraging you because you know of the struggles they have for the treasure. That leads perfectly into Paul's continuing desire for unity. Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Paul's desire that his struggles and the knowledge of his, of his struggles will result in unity. Now this unity here is actually serving a double function. It's both uh, working on what came before and what's coming after. First, let's see how it affects what came before. Unity is part of the means through which we are encouraged. We aren't alone in this mission. We are, aren't called to accomplish this monumental work by ourselves. This is the beautiful privilege we have in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, we are a new people. People. Not a new person. That's true as well. You are a new creation, but we are a new people. In Christ, we are blessed not only to be in Christ, we are also blessed to be part of his body. We are linked with other believers who are striving for the same goal. Within this word of unity that they would be knit together, 
that knit together is almost the idea of something that is welded. It becomes stronger. It's not by itself. What, what do we say? A, a single cord is easily broken. The knitting together makes this stronger. The welding of different metals makes a stronger blade. Why are we stronger? Because we are encouraging one another. We can see that others are also doing the work. Others also are guarding the same treasure. It encourages us in the same pursuit. This is the beautiful picture of the church body. We need each other. We need each other in order to encourage one another. How many of us, again, would say that the Christian life is easy? None of us would. At least not if we saw it how Christ sees it. See, Christ warned us that this would be hard. For us to think that this is easy is an arrogance that Christ did not have. It's hard. But Christ gives us his body, that is the church, for our encouragement. Now that alone should be enough to cause you to seek to unite with others. Specifically, the way that we see that is uniting with another body of believers a covenantal relationship, that they have an oversight of you. What we see in the New Testament is that God gave an authority, not to just me, the pastor, but to the congregation to aid one another, to challenge one another. Even in Matthew 18, if one is fallen in sin, if one is following a different treasure, go and address it with them, but ultimately take it to the church. Why? So the church can protect them. Because if we let them go astray and go after those treasures, it ultimately will lead to destruction. But if you're still not convinced, I hope the second part of what the unity is accomplishing is more convincing. Because Paul connects unity with the body and attaining the treasure in a, in a surprising way. The second purpose to be united is not just for our encouragement, it's also to reach all the riches found in Christ. Pay close attention to how Paul connects being knit together in love with the rest of the verse. So it says, verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Do you see the surprising connection Paul is making? Paul is saying that being connected to other believers is part of the means through which we reach the riches found in Christ. That is something that our age, our culture struggles with. In, in some ways, we have swung the pendulum in a good sense that the, your belief is individual. You are not redeemed by the faith of another. You are not redeemed by being under a certain denomination. You are redeemed by faith alone in Christ alone. That is individual. However, where we have swung it too far is to say, this is just me. I can do this by myself. You can't. You can't do it without missing part of the riches. Is it possible to know Christ on your own? Absolutely. It's necessary. Can you be a lone wolf Christian? I assume that it's possible. Can you reach all the riches of Christ on your own? Absolutely not. 
Before I go on, you might think that this is self-serving, that I'm just trying to grow this church. I'm not. I'm just trying to be faithful to the text. You don't have to join this church. This isn't a call for you to become a member here. It is a call, though, for you to link up in a covenantal relationship with a church that preaches the gospel because we can't do this alone. Unity matters to Christ. You can't receive all the riches if you are not connected to his body because Christ has chosen to use the body in order to give many of those riches. You can't have unity by yourself. Think about Christ's ministry. What did he constantly reveal? His unity with whom? With the Father. And then what did he do with that? He he said, I and the Father are one. We saw that over and over in our study of the Gospel of John. But then Christ goes one step further and calls us to the same unity. He says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. When we were there, he's praying for us, for future believers. And then this is what he says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Brother or sister, please hear my plea to you on this. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, don't do it alone. God has given you his body for your good. Again, I'm not saying that you have to join this church, but don't try to do this without the unity of a local body of believers who have covenanted with you to aid you in this journey, who have committed to help you, who have committed to say you are falling away, that you would do the same for them. There's a treasure for you in joining with a body of believers that we might reach all the riches. Now here's what an incredible flip to what we would expect. Normally, if you find a hidden treasure, what do you not want to do? Tell everyone else. If you tell everyone else, what's going to happen? How much treasure do you get? Less? Maybe none? Is that how it works in scripture? No, it's actually the opposite. If you try to get it all by yourself, you're gonna miss out. That's what what Paul is saying. Listen, this is not a treasure for you to just hold to yourself because you're gonna miss out on the greater treasure. You need other people. You need them to come alongside. There's a further application here, though, that mere membership doesn't fix all of this. I'm not just saying, well, just become a member and you're fine. There's a strong temptation for us to try to do this on our own. I have seen so many times where someone thought to pursue Christ to unearth the riches by themselves and they ended up lost. They didn't have any protection. And there's a lot of plausible arguments out there. Theology isn't a one-man pursuit. The full treasure is found in community. So we've talked a lot about this treasure. Let's now really look at it, continuing on, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is the treasure? Where do we find it? It's Christ. Christ is the treasure. In Christ, we find the riches. Please understand, I am not talking about earthly riches. That's over here. 
This is not promising health, wealth, and carnal happiness. There is happiness in Christ, but it's not the one that the world is trying to sell you on. Christ is the treasure. It is the promise of the assurance, the understanding, the knowledge of what we have in him. Pastor Billy took us through all of Exodus. And throughout the book, there were hints about what God was doing. Elements that pointed to the greater promise, the better treasure. But as we saw two weeks ago in Colossians 1, the end of Colossians 1, it was hidden for ages and generations. But now is revealed to his saints. That's us. The mystery is Christ in us. There is no greater treasure. We cannot even begin to comprehend the immensity of the privilege we have in knowing this mystery. All of human history was looking forward to how the problem of sin was to be resolved. What wisdom could both satisfy God's righteous wrath and demands against humanity as well as allow his holiness to dwell with his people? Is there any human wisdom that can bridge that gap? But in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom are found. God's justice and God's holiness as it related to men, that that was incompatible for those to still relate to man, to still have a relationship. His justice, his holiness required something that would not allow him to dwell with us because of our sin. But in Christ, the mystery is revealed. In Christ, the treasures of his wisdom that foresaw how man would be redeemed and there would be no contradiction God's wrath would be satisfied and his desire fulfilled to dwell again with his people. Because in Christ, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, he has now reconciled us. In Christ, he has made peace by the blood of his cross. This is what the Colossians have in Christ. By faith, they have been saved. This is their treasure. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying there is no greater treasure than the one you've been given. There's nothing better. This is the greatest treasure. It is the true treasure. Why is he pointing so emphatically to Jesus? Why is he elevating the treasure so highly? Because he knows that if we are not seeing Christ as preeminent, we are prone to fall to temptation. Here's the question again. Is Christ your greatest treasure? I'm not asking just you. I'm asking myself. Is Christ my greatest treasure? See, if Christ isn't our greatest treasure, we become susceptible to the attacks of Satan. If Christ is not our greatest treasure, then we are in grave danger. The problem is not that the attacks are too great, that the other treasures can somehow compete. That's not the problem. There is no other treasure that can compete. The problem is that we just don't understand what we really have. How do we value this? How do we grow in valuing what we have? We struggle for it. It takes work. We toil after it. We strive for this in all of his energy. We learn what the Bible says. What we struggle for reveals what we truly value. When we truly treasure the immeasurable richness of Christ, all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. If Christ is the greatest treasure ever, you will never find anything better. Paul has now spent 32 verses making much of Jesus. Why? 
Why has he spent so much time revealing Christ as the greatest treasure? To protect us from the attacks. If all of our purpose, all of our growth is accomplished in Christ, what is the greatest danger? That we would depart from him. That we would seek a different treasure. All of it is accomplished in Christ. What, is John, what, what, what did we, Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If this is where it all happens, then what's the greatest danger? That we would depart. I'm not talking about a loss of salvation. But I am talking about not accomplishing your purpose. So here's Paul's warning. I say this. Not just verses one through three. Chapter one all the way to verses, chapter two, verse three. I say this, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What is Paul worried about? That in devaluing Christ, we would be led astray by lies that seem convincing. Understand this. No one is led astray thinking that what they are giving up is going to be better than what they're hoping to get. No one is led astray thinking, ah, I'm, this is actually better, but I just prefer this. That doesn't happen. The reason we give things up is because we think we're going to get something better. The enemy's strategy has always been to tempt us with counterfeit treasures. Think about what happened in the garden. How did humanity fall? A counterfeit treasure was offered. You will be like God. They already were like God. Humanity fell because they treasured, the treasure being offered was greater in their eyes than the treasure they already had. And they could not have been more wrong. There is no greater treasure, but just because there is no greater treasure doesn't mean we aren't tempted by lesser treasures. How easy is it for us to be seduced away with trinkets of no value? So what does Paul do? He points us to the greater value. He points us to the true treasure. Do not be persuaded by lesser treasures. The gift is empty. It leads to destruction. Before we move on, I, I think there's, there's another casualty that we need to address because there is a casualty in our own lives when we pursue other treasures that we've already kind of talked about. But there's another casualty that, that we need to understand also happens when we pursue other treasures. When Delia refused to take any other treasure I offered, what did she reveal about her own treasure? It's valuable. It's better. This is more precious. What would happen if she had opened her treasure chest, seen what was in it, then pursued one of these other treasures I offered? What would everyone have, had assu have assumed about her first treasure? It's not as great. You don't know what the treasure is. Can I just say this? The world doesn't know the treasure of Christ. They don't know. They don't know the value. What happens when they see us saying, we have the greatest treasure, and then we continue per to pursue their treasures? What are we doing to what we are claiming? One of the casualties in following other treasures is our ability to evangelize. Because they're looking and saying, yeah, you say that this is your greatest treasure, but I see you pursuing my treasures. There's a temptation to often soften the Bible to make it more appealing. And the way we often do that is by making it closer to what the world already values. But when we do that, the only thing we are accomplishing is devaluing the gospel. 
We are not making it more attractive. That is going to hurt sometimes to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. But when we don't guard it, what do people not guard? Things that aren't valuable. What do people guard? What's valuable. And we're not guarding it to keep people away from it. We're guarding it that we are not pulled away from it. So that people say, man, no matter what is offered to them, they do not leave this treasure. That must be valuable. I want it. How many of you want to know what's in, in, in Delia's treasure box? You want to know! And I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> because she guarded it. See, there's a casualty here that we need to understand. This is not just, we are not the only casualties in this war. When we pursue other treasures, we are hurting our testimony to others. We then see, though, Paul's joy because there is an element in guarding the good deposit that we now see that Paul is joy because he says in verse four or verse five, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We see here a beautiful picture of two elements of the church. The first element we see is the universal church. Paul and the Colossians, though separated, though never having met face to face, they are united. Paul is with them. Paul is affirming them. I'm fighting the same fight with you. We are all part of the universal church. We are all part of the body of Christ. This war is not just in Colossae. I'm praying for you. We are worlds apart, but in Christ we are one. What a beautiful picture of the unity we have in the universal church. This this is why we can be encouraged by contacting Dan Ransom, saying, Dan, what's going on over there? What are you struggling for? What are you doing? How are you protecting the same treasure? But then the second element is within the local church. Because what does Paul say? Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Both of those words are plural. The imagery here that Paul is doing, these are military terms, that they are in good order. They are firm in their faith. They are on guard against an attack, against a temptation that would seek to take the weak people and pull them away from Christ. No, Paul says, I am rejoicing to see that you guys are guarding and protecting each other. Let me illustrate this. Delia, can you come back up here? I'd also like to ask, um, actually, if Betsy, Sherry Holloway, and Billy can come up here as well. Thank you for bringing the treasure back up. Kids, some of you might have been surprised that Delia didn't take any of the other trades. Now, what you didn't know is that before I told Delia something, I told her, Delia, no matter what else I offer you, this is the better treasure. Delia came prepped knowing that this was the greater treasure. But Delia, was there still a little part of you that some of those things seemed tempting? Yeah. Do we know that this is the greater treasure? Are we still tempted by lesser treasures? This is where the body of Christ comes alongside to protect. And and I want you guys to just stand in front of Delia because do you know what's awesome about them? They have the same treasure that you do. They have the same treasure. And you know what? They can help you knowing that these aren't worth it. Betsy, you know about this key. What is is this key to? This is a key to a silver Honda Accord coupe, sunroof, 
leather interior, my first car, it's totaled. Who totaled it? Actually, no, someone Someone else hit me. It wasn't my fault. But, Betsy, is that, is that a trade that she should take? No. No. It's just a key. It doesn't, there's no car that comes with it. It might have seemed plausible, but it's not. And when you have other people who are standing firm, who are in good order, they can help protect your treasure. Sherry, what do you know about this? It's fake. It's not real. <laughs> Is that a worth treasure for her to give up what she has to take something fake like that? Absolutely not. It's pretty. It's pretty. No. Billy, you're, you're, an, you're an Apple guy. What, what do you know about some of these? Well, this is in your pocket. Yep, uh, that phone's there. This is right there along with this, and that's in your That office. one, I'm not really sure where it is. It's just boxes. <laughs> Billy, should, should she trade? No. Delia, you have the better treasure. But there are times where you will be tempted to take lesser treasures... But that's where the body of Christ comes and stands by you. And they help protect you and say, whoa, 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 I know about that treasure. It's false. It's not real. Don't do it. How much easier is it for you to say no to all these other treasures now? Really easy. Because you have a better treasure. You can go back down. Thank you. See, this is the picture of how the body of Christ works. We aren't guarding the treasure. We are doing this together. Truly treasuring the immeasurable richness of Christ so that all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. We don't do that by ourselves. We are easily deceived. We look at the trinkets and we say, oh man, I kind of want it. You have the better treasure. Some of you were probably thinking that I would reveal the treasure that Delia was given, but I'm not going to. Here's why. Because that's exactly how a hidden treasure should work. When you see how much someone values a treasure, how much they protect a treasure, what do you want to know? You want to know what that is. And you know what? That is how we should be living in this world. And after the service, you can go ask Delia. You can go ask her, Delia, what was the treasure that you were not going to give up? That's what we should be doing. We should be living in a way where when every plausible argument comes our way that seeks to delude us, that we would just say, that is not a treasure. I have something so much better. As the worship team comes up, you might not have known what this treasure was, but do you know what the greatest treasure is? What's the greatest treasure? It's Christ. That's not a secret that I'm going to keep away from you. The mystery has been revealed. Oh, that we would treasure it according to its value and be protected from the lies of this world. When we truly treasure the immeasurable richness of Christ, all conflicting pursuits lose their luster. If Christ is the greatest treasure ever, you will never find anything better.